and a hearty welcome to one and all. This is episode 70, wow, of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you for joining me here on this, stop me if you've heard this before, miserable day here in New York, but it's a Saturday, and that's good, right? A lot of us are off today. And if you're checking out episode 70 on the YouTube channel, enjoying the content, haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, or if you're catching up the audio version of the podcast for episode 70 on Spotify, iTunes, or the other platforms, please click like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. So I stumbled across a little, I guess you could call it an obscure trivia item, even though the movie and the trilogy is not really that obscure. But as I like to say, every now and then, even someone like me, who likes to pride himself on a kind of a range of knowledge from the silent period of movies through the 1990s, even I get surprised by a certain date and a certain kind of on this day. Now, in general, I am a fan of Rich, Richard Linklater. I never really got into Dazed and Confused. And there are some of his other movies which I really kind of can't make head or tail of. But one particular individual movie of his that I absolutely, unabashedly love is the beginning of the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, which, as I just found out a little while ago, was released 29 years ago today on January 27, 1995. And it is a true statement to say that sometimes a movie hits us when we see it for the first time. It hits us different and will hit us different for all time because of who we were when we first saw it, where we were in life, not literally where we were, like what movie theater. And I saw Before Sunrise, you know, in that time frame. This was when I, it was my second semester as an undergrad film student. I was a junior at New York University. And I saw the movie. It had gotten a lot of acclaim, kind of advanced buzz in the very early days of the internet. Like I knew some people who were on the internet. I personally was not, even though I used uh, some of the computers in school, like at the library, the Bob's library, for example. So I had internet access. Uh, but it it still wasn't anything like it would become just a short while later, really by 97. Um, but the buzz was very strong, and a few of the professors and teaching assistants had gone to an advanced uh, screening and were talking it up. And I had seen the previews, and I was still in a very negative phase of life. And, you know, unfortunately, I was in a very negative phase of life for a couple of decades there. It's not like I woke up one day feeling like crap and then, hey, now I'm great. I was still at a point where I did not believe that what you would call conventional romance was going to be a possible scenario for me. I believe that was a zero percent. And in my mind, I had already a lot of years of negativity and strife and failure to back me up. Now, little did I know that I was just a fucking bullshit artist. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but I was as sure of that as anything. So, for example, if I went to see a movie, or not even, I mean, in this case, yes, go to see a movie, but I could be watching a romantic comedy or a drama at home. Uh, I had a different take on almost everything. 
because I was so negative and because I, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, it's not going to happen, because that was my default setting. But Before Sunrise hit me differently. And the reason why the movie struck a chord with me then and why it will always remain kind of one of those special films. And of course, I'm an Ethan Hawke fan. I, he did great work in, you know, Leave the World Behind, as many of us saw uh, and have seen since it premiered on Netflix. I thought it was for sure one of the best films of 2023. Again, my unofficial, you know, giving you my opinion here. But it was Ethan Hawke early in his career. Now, he was already a star. It's kind of amazing that 29 years ago, Ethan Hawke was already a star, but he was already a star. He had been in Dead Poets Society. He had been in um, a couple of other movies that had hit, uh, that had gotten a lot of acclaim. And um, yeah, Waterland, wow, you want to talk about an under-the-radar movie I have not talked about, which I highly recommend. It does some, some stuff that I've never seen before. Uh, Waterland with um, Ethan Hawke and Jeremy Irons from 1992. That is like one of the all-time most underrated movies, if you ask me. It's funny that that's what I would think of with Ethan Hawke. But, you know, Reality Bites was him also with Ben Stiller and, uh, and Winona. But Hawke was already a star, and I was really not familiar with his co-star, Julie Delpy. I, I kind of feel like I had seen her in something in film school that we had watched a little bit of one of her films that she had made overseas. But where the film resonated with me is even as a kind of a cranky, sarcastic, ceaselessly cynical 21-year-old in January of 1995. I wanted to believe that more was possible, but on top of that, I understood implicitly I was not going to be young forever. I was not going to, even though I had just turned 21, I was not going to be 21 forever. I had another, you know, 330-something days of being 21 at that particular time. So what the movie Before Sunrise achieved then, and what I, I think it still plays now, even though there are going to be some cultural, you know, bits and pieces and some some stuff that's really not going to make sense because of the, uh, the time and how it's a different era and some of the dialogue. I don't know what they're talking about. Yes, that's not the danger, but that's something that can happen when you're watching a film that's almost three decades old. But what the movie gets so right is the, the kind of lazy nature when you're young and you think you have unlimited time. And the characters in the movie, Ethan's character and Julie's character, I want to say his character's name is Jesse, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank and I really don't, I'm driving, I don't want to Google, but we'll say Ethan and Julie, because it feels, especially in, in um, Before Midnight, the third, the third of the trilogy, it feels like they're almost playing themselves, even though we know they're not, but I don't think in terms of the characters, because they're, they've, the actors have so much kind of become those characters, but uh, that's also beside the point. But there's a, there's a carefree attitude that runs through most of the film as the two characters connect and Ethan is getting ready to go home and they decide they're going to spend, they're going to spend a day together. Um, she gets off the train, he gets off the train, they're going to spend a day together. And there is such a sense of whimsy and fun running throughout the film. But in the back of your mind, you're saying to yourself, and even me, the first time watching it in theaters all those years ago, 
John is not going to go on indefinitely because he is not, he's not a traveler. He's not in Europe indefinitely. This is not, you know, for example, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in a movie from a number of years later, uh, The Beach, where he is a traveler. He is overseas and he doesn't, he's not going home. He's there. This is where, what he's doing, he's there. So we know that Ethan's character, he's probably a college kid. He's going to go home. He has to go back to the United States. He's not there forever. Just as we are not here forever. And when you have moments in life that as a young person, you sense may not happen again, even if you think you're going to live forever, you take them, you grab them. And that's what takes place in this film where for all of the fun and all of the kind of laid back conversations, shooting a little pool, fun in a bar, you know, showing off his uh, kind of American kind of stuff because Ethan's character, he's not really the ugly American, but you get what I mean. But eventually you get to a point where he has to go and they have to say goodbye. And it's a terrible, a terrible goodbye for all of the light moments, for all of the the real moments of connection where you absolutely are supposed to feel, and I felt it, even cynical old me or young me, I felt it. These people belong together. This is not a coincidence. This is not a hookup of convenience. This is not, yeah, maybe at first he said, oh my God, she's so hot. And she's like, Ooh, he's sexy. He's an American, whatever. But there's something deeper that happens, even through, as I say, the kind of whimsical conversations that they have during their day and their night. And the movie is a little, well, more than a little, it's a little bit cagey. I guess they have sex or maybe they don't. Not, I'm not, I don't think we're supposed to be a hundred percent sure. You know, it's one of the great kind of tricks that uh, filmmakers have been using probably since the silent period where two characters kiss at night. Well, do they have sex? I don't know. What are you asking me for? But the movie, whether or not it merely implies that they did or doesn't even imply it, we feel the connection, the sort of physical and spiritual and symbolic connection between them. And when it's time for them to figure out what are we going to do now this is not the social media age. And not that it would be so easy today if you have a young woman, for example, who lives in France and an American, you know, who goes to Columbia University or New York University or Fordham or some, you know, that he's a New Yorker. As Ethan Hawke literally was living in New York at the time, one of my one of my classmates was living in a, next door to him. How fucking crazy was that? He was living in New York at the time in the city. So... In 1994, which when this was shot, how are you supposed to keep in touch? How are you supposed to maintain a connection like that? You give you can give the person your phone number, you give them your address, but it's nothing like it would be today. Even though it would still be depressing, it's so easy. You know, he could be he could FaceTime her from the flight home to New York, two hours after they they you know depart one another's company. But in 1994, it's not so simple. And so they talk about 
let's make a plan, we'll meet here on this date, and it, it's just, it's painful, because you know, well, this isn't going to happen, there's no way that this is going to work out, they're kidding themselves, but you want it to, and you want them to, and I remember walking out of the theater, shaken, I was shaken, and I felt that I had seen a borderline masterpiece film. And you know, I feel like in terms of reviews, for whatever this is worth, the sequel, which is called Before Sunset, I think is probably the best reviewed film of the trilogy. And I'm not, I mean, you can say spoiler alert, but obviously if they didn't actually get together, there would not be much, there wouldn't be much of a story to talk about here, right? But the movie works and the sequel, I think Before Sunset is fantastic. Before Midnight, eh, it's just okay. It's just okay. But the movie succeeds. And it's something that, it's a film that I think about a lot as far as when you're young and you feel like, and you live your life as if you have more time than you actually do. And Before Sunset gets into it, but they're still pretty young, you know? They're nine, 10 years older. But then before midnight, yeah, they're 40, maybe they're in their early 40s, and it's just, it starts to feel like regular life, even successful, regular, married life, family life, life with your children, is starting to feel like, where did all the time go? You know, what am I doing here? When did I become an old man? Right? We can all identify with that, I think. At least anybody over 30 who perhaps has been married or is a, a, a father, a mother. Before Sunrise is, even though it ended up part of a trilogy, it's a bit of a unicorn. Because the dialogue, although I don't believe it was improvised, I mean, I'm sure some of it was, but this was not... Um, you know, Ethan and Julie working without a script. There was a script, but it has a carefree nature and a, and a natural, almost a cinema verite, the way that Julie, for example, delivers her lines. She delivers her lines in an unrehearsed way, and even that works. It feels like we're watching two very young people with their whole lives ahead of them fall in love in real time. And that's, that's what sticks. That's what kind of hurts, even though it's life. It's a normal passage of time. It's not tragic. The passage of time in and of itself isn't tragic. But thinking about it and remembering what we felt like at a certain time in our life, that's something that I always ponder. Not even so much making different choices because the characters in the movie Before Sunrise, you know, the fact that there were two more movies because the first one was such a kind of a culty hit, uh, they made the right choices, even if they didn't get together permanently at that exact time. But they made the right choices to almost kicking and screaming stay in contact because they were always supposed to, you know, and I was going through, as I was often going through, self-created huge stretches of doubt, huge stretches of uncertainty, huge stretches of wondering, is this all there is? 
I'm 21 years old. Do I have anything better than this to look forward to? Not that there's anything wrong with what I was doing. I mean, I was really lucky. I was able to go to New York University. I was an undergrad at NYU. I did not have any student loans. I was getting terrific grades, doing better academically than either of my parents had foreseen because I had, quite frankly, been such a an academic joke for huge you know, stretches of my younger life. But I kept striving to achieve, but I still wanted more. And what I understand now about that, the movie is about wanting more. It's not enough that they just had this incredible, beautiful day together. They want to have a lifetime. As wacky as it is, they just met. They want to have a lifetime of incredible, beautiful days. And the trilogy, without giving it all away, it kind of says that maybe it's not possible that every day is going to be beautiful and magnificent, but you can have a lot of great days with the right person. You can have an awful lot of happiness with the right person. And even if I didn't see that for myself as a younger person, as this sort of as I say, cranky, easily aggravated and agitated 21-year-old. I know that it was true. I know that it's possible. And because I've lived it. I've lived it. I haven't lived that particular story, but I have lived better and I've gotten more out of life than I imagined. And I guess that really is all I have to say on this movie. You know, um, it's beautifully shot. It's perfectly orchestrated. It has this um, almost documentary cinema verite realism to it without drawing attention to itself. This is not like one of the found footage films where the camera's jumping around. I don't mean it like that. But it has such a nice way about it. And it's unforgettable. Like, it's not something that you're, you're going to watch and think, oh, this is just trash. No, it works on you. It gets under your skin in a similar way to how um, Lost in Translation is another movie that I really didn't think was, eh, this isn't really that interesting, but it just weaves its spell. It weaves its magic on you. You're not even aware of it. And then towards the end, you can't believe how caught up you are. What's going to happen? Celine. Celine, that's the name of her character, Celine and Jesse. What's going to happen to them? And, well, not going to spoil it other than to say they made three films featuring these characters. So you can kind of do some math and figure out that there's more to it than just they meet, they hook up, they have connection and say goodbye to each other. But there's so many metaphors for life just in the movie Before Sunrise, especially if you see it when you're a young person and revisit it five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, geez, 30 years later, it will shock, it will dazzle you, and it will humble you. It will make you remember a different time in your life when you had completely different ideas about life, about love, about what was possible for you. And at the different times in my life where I've watched the movie, I have been in a totally different headspace. I've been negative, I've been somewhere in the middle, and I've been very positive, and counting my blessings every day as I do now. So, with that, we've reached the end of episode 70 
of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I know a little shorter today, but I really wanted to talk about this movie and, to a lesser extent, the trilogy. Uh, The films are readily available on various streaming platforms, and um, I'm not sure which ones, like which movie is free on what. I know that Before Sunrise has been on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if it's on now, but it would be a couple of bucks, you know, to rent if you wanted to see it. All three films are worth seeing, but of course, start with the first and best, in my opinion, the best. Before Sunrise, released 29 years ago today. Holy shit, I can't believe it. I can still remember what it was like watching the TV commercial endlessly. Man, that commercial aired all the time. And saying, all right, I guess I gotta go see it because everybody's seeing this movie. So if you're checked out, episode 70 on the YouTube channel and you haven't done so already, don't forget to click like, subscribe, and turn on the notifications. Or if you've checked out episode 70 on the audio platforms such as Spotify or iTunes or the others, haven't done so already, don't forget to click like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. I'll be back with episode 71 real, real soon. Take care, and I hope you have a great rest of your Saturday night.